Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. Welcome to another edition of Kicks and Bricks. Um, this is a somber episode. Um, it's been 26 years since the uh, since Tupac passed away, and I wanted to pay homage to him by having one of his closest friends on. Napoleon, what's going on? No, bro. How's everything, man? Am I there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm good, man. What's going on with you, bro? I'm all right, man. So, um, you're from Jersey. Like, how did growing up there, like? kind of how mold and shape uh, hold on let me start that over so you're from <laughs> so you're from jersey like how did um growing up there like kind of help shape and mold you into the loyal person that you are today you know man um jersey i think the east coast in general you know especially the major cities you know we got a lot in common jersey new york philly and um especially Irvington, New Jersey, where I'm from, which is a small township of North, because like the suburbs of North, uh, but it's actually like a wild city, a wild place. So it taught us loyalty. We had to stick with each other. You know what I mean? I think in any general neighborhood in the city, you got problems and enemies from another neighborhood. You know what I mean? So, you know, one of the things you want to keep in mind is that, man, well, even for, well, at least for me, you know, I grew up knowing that, you know, disloyalty would never have a good ending. You know, nothing comes good out of disloyalty, man. So I was able to implement that, that understanding and belief in my life at a very young age, you know what I mean? So I had a lot of, you know what I mean? Especially what happened to my parents. You know, it was people that was disloyal to them that crossed them. So I never wanted to have, I never wanted to have those traits. If you don't mind, um, can you like kind of like briefly go into like what happened to your parents and, and how that affected For you sure. growing up? Yeah, you know, my, my well, most may not know, but my parents got murdered in front of me when I was three years old. And um, one of the individuals who was responsible for killing my mother and father was actually my godfather. You know, he was a person that was very close to my grandmother, very close to my family. And he decided to, you know, cross, cross my father. So, you know, of course, you know, growing up, alhamdulillah, thank God I had a big family. My grandparents stepped in from both sides, my mother, you know, we live with the grandparents of my father, but also my mother's parents, they played a part as well, my aunties, my uncles. So I didn't really feel like I was missing out. But every once in a while, you know, you know, growing up without your parents, it'll have an effect on you even in, in ways that you may not comprehend. You know what I mean? All right, so like, you were like very instrumental like with the outlaws, like, um, when did you first link up sure. with um, Tupac? Man, I met Pac when I was about, I would say, um, maybe 14 years old. You know, I met Pac, he was coming to town. He was going to New York, matter of fact. 
and Gaddafi moms, she let me know that he was on his way to New York, you know what I mean? And I, and I went there to, to get acquainted with my old friend, which was Gaddafi, who was like the half brother of Tupac, or they just call each other brothers, you know? So when I met Pac, I was about 14 years old, man. I hopped on a, I hopped on a train with my brother. We went from Jersey to New York. Manhattan is about a 30 minute ride, you know what I mean? All right, so so like you said, you was rolling with pocket at age fourteen. Like, um, what was it like being around that energy at such a young age? You know, Pac, and now that I think about it, he was young himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he he had such an old soul, man. He was very mature, you know, for his age, and he always had that big brother, you know, outlook when it came to dealing with me and the rest of the outlaws. So rolling with Pac, but he also. He also treated us like young men. We wasn't like treated like kids around him. So I was able to pick up on pick up a lot of game from him, pick up a lot of knowledge on certain things from just being around him. You know what I mean? So like around this time, like Me Against the World was out, and like that's one of my favorite Tupac albums. And um, okay, yeah. And like unfortunately, around this time, you know, he caught um a sexual assault case, and then came like the yeah. shooting. Like, what do you remember about that whole crazy time? Well, you know, Me Against the World album, that's actually the first album that I ever recorded with Pac. And and I remember that particular time, man. It was, um, I just met him, you know, not too long before that. And um, when we got the call that he got shot, and, um, you know, we, uh, we spoke to him a few hours later, and we was happy to hear that he survived it. You know what I mean? And that that particular time was... It was life changing, not for Pac, but for, you know what I mean, for all of us. Because when Pac got shot in New York, it made him, you know, it made him be wary of those around him. It made him paranoid, which he had every right to be so. It made him uh, more militant. It made him more aggressive. You know what I mean? It made him more angry. You know, Pac used to do a lot of songs and he tried his best even up until he passed away to do songs dedicated to, 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 you know, to black and brown people. But when he got shot, he said, man, I never would have expected, you know, my own people to shoot me. So it made him more of, it made him start, it made him go into more of a gangster mode. And it, and it started to even, you know, take effect in his music. So that was a life changing for me. Imagine, you know, you trying to get away from the streets. I thought that me getting to the music industry, I'd be away from the streets. And when I got involved into the music industry and found out that I said, man, this is no different than the streets. You know what I mean? So that was the first case of me knowing that the music industry is also a wicked place. And also, like, a few years back, um, DJ Vlad, he interviewed um, the accuser. I don't want to say her name, but, um, yeah, like... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah like, but, but watching that interview, it always came across, like, that she was lying the whole time. Like, in some, sure. like, in, in some portions of her story, like, didn't add up what, at all. So like, um, yeah. so like 20 years plus later, like, how do you feel about this woman like still kind of throwing dirt on his name? I think, I think it's messed up what she's doing because we all know Pac didn't take advantage of that girl in that way. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of things you can say about Pac, but one thing we know is that he won't disrespect a woman in that manner. I'm not saying his music and calling them out their name because we all had issues with that, but knowing Pac, he would never do that to a woman from the simple fact of how he was very close with, you know, majority of the people in his family that he was the closest to was women, his mother, his sister, you know what I mean? His aunt, like he, his aunt. So me knowing Pac, he would have never done that. So for her to keep continue to tell that story, of course she can't go back now. You know what I mean? So 
once you lie, you gotta you gotta live, you gotta continue with that lie. So she's gonna she's continue, you know, it's a continuation of her lying 20 years later. You know what I mean? Unfortunately. And um like whatever happened with Stretch, like I always felt weird about um like about Stretch and Tupac's relationship because um like during that whole time when he was in New York, like running around with Jimmy Hedgeman. Like he was friends with them, but at the same time, he like he was claiming to be like one of Tupac's brothers. I think that's why they fell out. You know what I mean? I think you know Pac fell out because there was a lot of unanswered questions that Pac had regarding surrounding Stretch and his um his involvement. You know what I mean? Um, I I watched an interview of his brother, um, which you know what I mean. Like we can't sit here and say Pac was um everything that come out of pop mouth was 100% correct. You know what I mean? So it could it could have been. After hearing the interview with his brother, it could have been, and I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt, that maybe Stretch had a reason why he acted the way he acted. But for Tupac, you know, Pac at that particular time, he looked at it from a point of view that Stretch is not riding with him. But when I listened to the interview of Madge and I listened to some of the homies and they started explaining certain things, it's, it's one of them things that I say to myself, I wonder if they would explain that to Pac, if he would have said, you know what, Stretch, now it makes sense. You know what I mean? Now it makes sense because you were able to explain because when, when it happened, Pac, he was just mad. He cut him off, you know what I mean? So it's one of them things you, you, you don't know. Like, for example, I think Madge was saying in his interview that when they, when they spoke with Pac and got in contact with him, they was like, look, man, these people are calling my mother house when my mother's sleeping, they threatening us. We can't go to war with you, with, with these people, because now they know where my mother lived. They actually call in our house. And it was like, Tupac, if you can, like, get my mother up out of the hood, we ready. You know what I mean? So at that time, Pac was tight financially. So you never know if, that, if that's the case. These are stories. These are things that Pac didn't tell us, but I'm hearing now. So I look at it like, man, you never know, bro. You know what I mean? All right. And, like, and Stretch, like, he was killed, like, a year later. Like, do you remember... Like Tupac's reaction when he found out that um stretched yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't there when he then when he when he heard when he heard um when he first got the news. You know what I mean? But of course he said something in the song where he said, I guess your new friends wanted you dead. So, you know what I mean? He spoke about it in one of his songs though. All right, so like um what do you remember about the quad studio like shooting? Like um did Pac ever tell you in private who he felt was responsible for it? You know, Pac thought it was people like Haitian Jack, Jimmy Henchman. He, at one particular time, he he even felt like Puffy and Big and him knew it was going to happen. That's why he was mad at the rappers on the East Coast, you know what I mean? And, um, you know what I mean? So, Pac was mad. Like, he was blaming everybody who was involved and, and, and he or who was at that studio <laughs> to a degree, you know what I mean? He felt like, how's every hottest New York rapper in the studio the night that I got shot? So, Pac was on it that way, you know what I mean? But I guess when you look at it years later, I think it shows a point that Jimmy Henchman and his people had something to do with it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And a few years ago... Not even Haitian Jack. That's the right. crazy part. Right. And a, and a few years ago, Dexter Isaac basically came out and said that he was a trigger man and um, and Jimmy Henchman paid him $2,500 to do it. That's what's crazy about it. Like, we... You, so these are incidents that I say... That's why I say now, looking back at all these incidents, if Pac was alive and he would have got, got uh, more clarification... Like, for example, when he was alive, Pac thought Haitian Jack was the one who set him up. You know what I mean? And they come to find out all this time that 
one of Jimmy Hinchman's homeboys admitted that he was the one. So it lets you know that that's why I say Pac was young. You know what I mean? He was young and he was he was angry. And he was paranoid. So of course, certain things that he said, he was mistaken. Like we all, no one is free from mistakes. You know what I mean? So if he would have been around later, he would have been able to figure, because he didn't even have time. You got to understand, man, from the time that Pac got shot the first time till he died, probably was a year, a year and a half. You know what I mean? So Pac didn't really get a chance to start putting He was just hot, man. He was angry, like, man, these jokers try to kill me. And he was going at everybody. But when you hear, when you start seeing 15, 18 years later, you're like, wow, all this time, Haitian Jack was really, I'm telling the truth. You know what right. I mean? Did you ever, did you ever, like, run into Haitian Jack or Jimmy Hinchman, like, years after? I ran into um, both of them. That's the crazy part. <laughs> yeah, can you tell that story? I ran into both of them. Can you tell that story? Huh? Can you tell that story? I ran into Haitian Jack. We ran into Haitian Jack in L.A. And I hear a lot of people in these comments, you know what I mean, in comments, they're like, man, he ain't running to the, he ain't running to Haitian Jack. He ain't running. One thing about me, I ain't a liar. You know what I mean? I don't got a duty. I don't have to say these stories who I ran to and who I didn't for clout or just to seem like I'm someone that I'm not. Like I always say, I'm not a big gangster, but I always was a person, a person who stand on principles. So when we ran, when we seen Haitian Jack and Jersey dudes is different. You know what I mean? From Jersey, we was never afraid of a, a gangster from New York or gangster from. We we felt like at that particular time when you young. And you strapped with guns, and you're not afraid. you feel like you can take on anyone. So when we heard that was Haitian Jack, we ran down on him. We had guns and everything on us. You know what I mean? But it was in a broad daylight, and we and we talked like men. You know what I mean? When we asked him what happened, he said, "Look, man, I ain't had nothing to do with it. I guess he pretty much was like people from the street did it on their own because they love me. So he don't he probably didn't even know Jimmy Hinchman had something to do with it. You know what I mean? So so people be thinking I'm making up these stories, and I say, bro, if they know how we used to get down." they would know what we mean when we say we ran down on the people. It wasn't nobody, it wasn't nobody, and even now that was living that I had any fear in my heart of, you know what I mean? But I just want to clarify, it wasn't like I was selling jokers, we was running down with jokers, throwing them in a the trunk and nothing like that. No, we wasn't wilding like that, but that's one of the things we learned from Pot. Pot said, it's, it's going to be times when you see your enemy, before you rush him, you're going to have to confront him. Maybe you're going to have words. So when we ran into Haitian Jack and he explained to us the situation, we're from the streets. He from the streets. It was a situation where we said, "Cool, we did it." To, we did it from a standpoint for him to know. Look, Pot do have some. He's seen these Jersey cats around and a few LA cats that was with us. And then when I ran into Jimmy Henchman, it was in Los Angeles, man. And it's um, it was in a mansion. You know what I mean? It was in a mansion, and I was shocked because he was Muslim. We was breaking fast together, and he said, "You know, I had nothing to do with it." You know what I mean? Yeah. And Jimmy Henchman, like he's serving life now, so it's kind of crazy it, to like think about. It's like, not yeah, he's serving life. So you, you, when people say, "Well, why do you question these people?" Maybe because I was different. Like if I do something and your boys come up to me and say, "Did you do?" I'm gonna say, "Yeah, I did it." And what? You know what I mean? Unless I think it's the police, of course I'm not gonna. You know what I mean? But I'm gonna say, "Okay, I did it. Now what's up?" Yeah, I did it. You know what I mean? You want to fight the fade? That's how my mentality was. So when I was going up to jokers, question them. I was still a young teenager or in my early 20s, and I was expecting the same type of, that cats would be like, well, yeah, you know, I did that with Pop because he ran his mouth. And then you got to be, some some the, some codes you just got to respect. But Jimmy Hinchman was like, no, I had nothing to do with it, this and this and that. Then years later, it found out that his boys was like, he paid them to do it. You know what I mean? All right, so, like, after the shooting, like, Tupac had to serve his time upstate. So, like, um, how did, like, his mentality change? From your perspective, um, 
during it during you know, his Pac, um Pac prison stint. You know, Pac got aggressive. And he had every right to be so. He got aggressive. He got paranoid. He didn't trust people. You know, you got to understand, man, you get shot and then you go into prison for something you didn't do. You know, it ain't too many people that can take that pressure. You know what I mean? Like, he he had to leave his family. He had to go away from what he loved to do and for something he didn't do. He, he done prison time. And then he's in an environment where the same people that shot him up might have homeboys in that prison. It was a difficult time for him. And and what? And while I was doing like research for this um interview, I found out that Fat Joe and 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 his people kind of held Tupac down while he was locked up. Yeah, like, Fat Joe. Yeah, Fat Joe. Shout out to Fat Joe because I remember Pac told us out of his mouth that his people held him down. So man, shout out to Fat Joe. You are, know what I mean? Are you still good with Joe? Like after all these years? Yeah, Joe, good man. We did an interview together a month ago. Joe always been a solid dude, man. That's what I, he he he's. It's a few people in the industry that. You can say it's real solid. He's definitely one of them. All right. So, like, who kind of, like, got the ball rolling to, for Pac to sign with um, Death Row? I think Pac was reaching out to Suge from his wife at that particular time. It was Keisha. You know what I mean? Pac, Pac knew. A lot of people don't know Suge was trying to sign Pac for the longest. And um, so Pac knew that the one at that particular time, he he, he felt like, it would be a dope combination and uh, um, to unite with Suge Knight, especially with what he was going through. You know what I mean? And Suge was and Suge was no angel. Like um, he did he did a lot of dirt, but also at the same time he did a lot to help um, young black. Did a lot of good yeah. for people. Yeah, people forget about that. Like Suge did a lot to help people, man. So they forget about that. You know what I mean? He did a lot. Every 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 Thanksgiving, he was in Compton giving out free food. He, every month, Mother's Day, you know, he was doing banquets, feeding women from Los Angeles, South Central Compton for free. He was he was giving a lot of money, paying rent for a lot of people. He did a lot, you know what I mean? He did a lot. But I guess his his negative styles probably overshadowed the positivity that he done. But he helped a lot of people. And what do you like remember most, like the day Tupac got out of prison? I just remember getting that call. I was in my grandmother's house and we got the call that he's home. He's on, he's on a plane on his way to LA. And we was excited, you know, we, we knew it was on. Like, because while he was in prison the whole time, he was riling us up, like pretty much like it's about to go down. When I'm coming home, I'm striking. He wasn't like, when I come home, I just want to chill with my family. Pac was like, man, when I come home, the war gonna start. He had us pumped up like that, you know what I mean? And what was like the LA um, lifestyle like during that time? Man, L.A. was different. I, I, from the time that we first went to L.A., man, I, I loved it, you know what I mean? It was a more it was more dangerous back then because the gang gang activity was a little more rampant during those days, you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was hectic, but the people loved Pop, you know what I mean? So they embraced him. And so in return, that gave us a lot of love out in L.A. So you guys kind of had like a little basketball thing going with the um, dog pound? Like, who was like... The best hooper, like from from the death row camp. You know, we used to play the outlaws. Used to play against Snoop and them in the dog pound. Fatal had skills. Fatal was dope. Um, I think Young Noble could play. Young Noble was dope. Pac, he was a little. He thought he could play. But he was a little tight and rusty, but <laughs> he used to miss a lot of shots. But Snoop had Snoop also. I think he had a few homies on his team that was dope. But Snoop was good. You know what I mean? So like you were also around Pac, like which I felt was like kind of like 
the highest point of his rap career? Like, what was the process like making All Eyes on Me? You know, at that particular time, it, it, it was a, a legendary moment, man. You know, we we was in death row. Like, I grew up loving West Coast music. You know, I grew up, you know what I mean? That was the music I was into because of the environment that I was used to. I wasn't really, the environment that I grew up in, I wasn't really feeling East Coast artists at that particular time because it was, to me, like backpack rapping. You know what I mean? I wanted to hear gangster stuff. So when I heard NWA and Ice Cube, these was people I was into because that was my environment. You know what I mean? And so when we went to LA, I was like, man, this is my dream come true. I always wanted to be on the West Coast. You know what I mean? And it happened. Do you have like any funny stories like from your death row days, like untold stories? Man, y'all gonna have to get my book for that, bro. Cause we got a lot of untold stories in life is raw book. Shout out to Suleiman Jenkins, bro. <laughs> but you gotta get the book yeah. for that, bro. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the book <laughs> later though. All right, so, um. There was like a lot of gang activity like revolving around death row, like around that time. Like um from your point of view, since like should um bailed him out, like did Pac like feel that he had to add some type of loyalty towards the bloods? I think you could say that to a degree because he's a, you you gotta understand Suge the one who bailed Pac out of prison and his security guards, like the people that Pac was the closest to besides Bogar. And Big Sight, you know, Bogar was a he Bogar was from Schoolyard Crip. Big Sight was from IVC, Imperial Village Crips from Inglewood. So, and then you had Suge Hitters, who was always around Suge and always around Pop, but they was also on the front line for Pop. So he definitely had loyalty for them. You know what I mean? They was ready to knock anything down for Pop, man. So you definitely gotta have loyalty. He had some loyalty for them. You know what I mean? What was like the climate back then, like during the old East Coast? West Coast. Um. When he, when he, when he, when when Pop first came home, I think the media really blew it out of proportion. You know what I mean? And and um and that's why Pop. It it was hot at one particular time, man. It was at the the peak of the East Coast West Coast beat. People really was getting even after Pop died. It went on for some years that if East Coast dudes come to L.A., I remember a lot of jokers was getting robbed and laid down. And I'm sure when you know, West Coast dudes was going to New York, caught slipping. It was the same way. So you gotta understand, man. It it it, it was dangerous at one particular time. Right, and like, and can you talk about like the process behind, like, um, behind hit 'em up? Hit 'em up, man. I just remember one day, Pac was like, "Man, we about to do the hit 'em up," and um, I wasn't really interested in getting on it. You know what I mean? Until later, when it came out, I was like, "Man, I should have got on it." You know, so. He was mad, of course, he wanted to do it. He just wanted to do a diss track. The first hit him up was different. I think the beat was slower. And um, he was like, you know what? We got to do another one. We got to really go at him. No problem. All right. So, like, um, you know what's crazy to me? Like, back then, there was, like, a lot of sublim subliminal, like, this is going from, like, the East Coast. Um, yeah. Rappers and like the only person that like that really said his name was um Chino XL. Yeah, Chino XL. <laughs> yeah, he was the only he was the only one that said Pac name. So I guess he was like the hell with it. I'm going all out. I never heard of Chino XL until you said that. <laughs> Me neither. He could have been good for his career. You know what I mean? Because I never knew he existed. And Pac's the type of person he don't care who you is. If you are nobody, you say his name, he he gonna dish you on a record and blow you up bigger than what you're supposed to be. 
I you think, know what I mean? Yeah, I think like Jay Z kind of said his name too, but it wasn't like directly like towards him. Yeah, yeah, I don't even think if Jay Z said it, but a lot, it was a lot of subliminal shots. You know what I mean? It was a lot of subliminal joints. All right, um, can you like talk about like the time Tupac and Big like ran into each other? At, um, I believe it was the Soul Train Awards in LA. Yeah, they ran into each other at the Soul Train Awards, man. And you know, Big was with his security, Pac was with Suge and his security, and pretty much the police was keeping them separated from each other. And it was about to go down, you know what I mean? And you know, Pac said at the end he heard his name being shouted out on the speakers that he just he just won. He just won his award. So when he was running in to get his award, he heard Puffy coming down the stairs, like, where he at? Somebody must have told Puffy. So he said, where he at? Where he at? And Pac was like, we right here. So he lifted the window up and jumped on the, the top of the tour bus. <laughs> These jokes, <laughs> they get animated, boy. They've been doing it, like, you know what I mean? But at, at, at the end of the day, these things are in my past. You know, I laugh about it and I, we talk about it in the interview, but it's my past, you know what I mean? And I'm Muslim now, so I don't agree with certain elements of what I be talking about now, but we just giving a true story. So, so people can also see that these, you got individuals that might look up to these people in the industry and they might think that these people is one way, but in reality, they, they a whole nother type of individuals, you know what I mean? So like that, you know what I mean? So it's clear to see what, you know, what these jokers are on. Right. And like, and despite all the back and forth, like, I don't think like Tupac or Big wanted like something bad happened to, um, of course. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I think Pac, Pac said it, you know, he said he don't really want nothing bad to happen to Biggie. He just felt like he was a little brother that needed to be spanked. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't even think Pac realized, you know, like coming out with hit him up and these type of things, he probably didn't realize the ammo that he had and the support that he had and how people in the streets and, you know, was listening to him and following and taking his lead. So, you know, it was an unfortunate situation for both of them. All right. So like, was Pac like the only person from like the death row camp kind of like riding that big in public? No, the whole death row was. The whole death row was, bro. Snoop, everybody was doing it. Of course, Pac was, you know, he was doing it the most. Everybody was doing it, man. Everybody was having songs dissing East Coast or dissing Biggie. You know what I mean? They went to New York, corrupt in the dog pound and did a whole video. You know what I mean? So people know what they was doing back then. It wasn't just pop. Like, can you talk about like what happened with um Tupac and Snoop and how they kinda like fell out towards the end of um Pac's life? I think you know what what really happened, man. Pac was upset that, you know, that interview that Snoop did with Angie Martinez. You know, when he got on the radio and she asked him about how do you feel about Puffy and Big? And he was like, these are my homeboys and stuff like that. Pop was listening to it. So Pop felt like, man, just with me, you know, in L.A. recently, you dissing these people. But when you come to L.A., they're your homeboys. So Pop felt like, you know, he was riding both, both sides of the fence, you know. So that really was a... But I also know at the end, you know, if Pop would have survived, he would have sat Snoop down and, and like men and like brothers and and, and, and and come face to face with it because he did have a lot of love for Snoop, you know what I mean? But that was the reason they fell out. And did you like... We, gotta do, we, gotta do, we probably got to do two more questions because then I got to go to prayer, man. <laughs> oh, all right. Hold on, hold on. Can you like um tell me about like what happened like um during... um. Tupac's time in Vegas, like, how did you receive the news and, um, like, how did it affect you? You know, when I, when we got the, when we heard about the shooting, um, 
initially I thought it was going to be the same way he got shot before in New York. He made it. He's a strong individual. And um, so we we jumped in a car, you know, strapped up. We drove from L.A. to Vegas, three and a half hour, four hour drive. But when I seen him in the hospital, that's when I knew it was more severe than what I, I, I thought initially. You know what I mean? And um, I knew that it was it was a bad shooting. And um, when we start finding out what happened, you know, it was just a, it was a situation that it could have been avoided. We wish it would have been avoided, but, you know, it happened. So it was written. Sad situation overall. All right. So like years later, like Greg Caden and his and in, in, in his investigation kind of like implicated Diddy and um, Baby Lane. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, would you yeah, be surprised? Yeah, yeah, like, would you be surprised if, like, if Diddy was like actually involved? And um, I won't be surprised. I won't be surprised. You know, unfortunately, because when people are scary, they would do anything. That's the, you know, having a scary enemy with money is dangerous. You know what I mean? It's dangerous because when you're nervous and you're scared, you just want your enemies out of the way, no matter what. You're not really thinking. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to run into that individual. So you never know, man. All right. So, like, how has, like, having Islam in your life helped change you for the better? Alhamdulillah, man. I think a lot that he guided me to this religion, to this way of life, because it, you know, like, for example, everything we're speaking about right now, this was my past. It was one particular time in my life that this was a life that I glorified, that I really loved, that I enjoyed, you know, violence. And now, alhamdulillah, since I've been Muslim, this is lifestyle is the furthest that I I want to be the furthest away from that type of lifestyle. You know what I mean? And um, so it changed me. Not only that, it, it guided me to worshiping my creator the proper way. It guided me to a way of life that's, you know what I mean, that's beneficial for myself and 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 those around me, like my family, my kids, you know what I mean? So I thank Allah for this, bro. Yeah. Um, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Um you are a part of one of the most memorable moments um, in history, probably like the golden era of rap. Um, really fast, um, can you talk about like your upcoming book and where can we find it at? Definitely, man. The name of my book is Life is Raw, written by my homie Suleiman Jenkins, narrated by myself. And it will be available worldwide soon and this fall, inshallah. Just follow me on Instagram, Facebook. We're going to post all that details. All right? All right, thanks, man. All right, peace, bro. You take care. You too.